This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Well, good morning. How did you go with that Bible reading? Uh, if you were going to take a week off preaching, this might be the week uh, to take off. Uh, we're wonderfully served by Michael this morning uh, with the music. We met during the week to discuss this passage, and it would be a privilege for either of us to share it with you. My hope is not to get in the way of what I think is actually a clearer passage than we might first appreciate. So how about I pray and ask for God's help? Our Heavenly Father, please guide my words and open our ears and our hearts that we might hear your word and our hands that we might put it into practice. And We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue our series through 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. In previous sections of this particular chapter, we've been reminded of the centrality of the resurrection to Paul's calling as an apostle, to the gospel that he preached to the Corinthians and to their faith. And this morning he makes uh, four points for us. Firstly, that resurrection is like the new life which comes from a seed. Secondly, that God gives things bodies fit for their purpose. Thirdly, that our present body is not fit for eternity. And fourthly, that God gives new bodies to his people at the resurrection through their union with Christ. So we'll walk through those together this morning. It begins, as you saw, in verse 35. If you're following along, we're on page 936, down the bottom of the page in our Pew Bibles, with these blunt questions. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? We don't see many dead bodies today. Unless we work in a job like being a first responder to emergencies or perhaps in a hospital or hospice or maybe the army or as a funeral director. Though we all know people who will have died. We're often removed, though, from the messiness of death. Even in the food that we eat, we really have to connect with the meat that we're eating, with the death of the animal. Our first point of contact is wrapped in plastic on a supermarket shelf. But even we might ask, how can the dead be raised? How can someone who has died and decomposed live again? To the modern ear, of course, this has become a nonsense. There can be no physical existence after death. Indeed, our sense of the permanence of death shapes our culture's view of middle and old age, as a slippery slope of decline towards that inevitable but unmentionable moment. And we do everything we can to stave off that day or even the appearance that that day might be approaching. And so we have lapsed as a culture into our uncomfortable silence about death, the last taboo. Until, of course, that time comes and then we fill the vacuum of that silence, with platitude and euphemism. Here is a poem used with increasing frequency at funerals, or memorials as they are more commonly called today. It's called, I am not here. Do not stand at my grave and weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond's glint on snow. I am the sunlight on ripened grain. I am the gentle autumn rain. When you awake in the morning's hush, I am the swift, uplifting rush of quiet birds in circled flight. I am the soft stars that shine at night. Do not stand at my grave and cry. I am not there. I did not die. 
The modern sentiment of release from the physical to join the universe would not sound foreign to Paul's first readers at Corinth. Some even mocked the idea of resurrection, scoffing, what might a resurrected corpse look like? Some of the Corinthians may not have believed in an afterlife at all, while others may have hoped that their soul's peaceful existence would be apart from the body. You can imagine at a time without access to health care, life in a normal body was not necessarily a healthy existence. Life for the majority in the Roman Empire was hard. Food was scarce for many. With a lack of nutrition, disabilities and conditions were abundant. Life expectancy was low. Less than 50% of children lived to see the age of 10. Death was simply a part of life. It's a little wonder then that the moral philosophy of the day tended to denigrate flesh and blood. The predominant philosophies of Paul's day placed no hope in the body. It must have been appealing to think that the essence of who one is need not be attached to this frail shell, this imperfect casing. Yet, yet, Paul is convinced that God made that casing and longs to redeem it. To doubt this is to doubt the power and purpose of God, to be, as Paul says, a fool, to live outside the fear of the Lord, the beginning of all wisdom. In affirming a bodily resurrection, Paul is not advocating a zombie apocalypse, you might be pleased to hear. The good news is not a resuscitation of decayed corpses, it's the transformation of the body into a body that has not been corrupted by the powers of sin and death. And so he begins with the analogy of a seed, a seed in nature, to illustrate his point. Verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. Paul says when you want to grow a tree, you don't plant a tree. You plant a seed. That seed dies, it dissolves, it is transformed and grows into something new. Something new that is still connected. There's still a continuity with what was planted in the first place. And so it is with us. Our death. Yes, it leads to dissolution, but also in the resurrection to transformation into something new and different, and yet connected, continuous with what was planted. See, when Christians join in the silence of our culture about death, we also lose the opportunity to speak about the joyful news of resurrection. In the creed, which we just said, our declaration of faith, we affirm that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Would our non-Christian friends our families, our colleagues, be able to tell this about us? Would they know that we believed in the life everlasting, the resurrection of the body? Charles Spurgeon has some challenging words to us. He's a 19th century preacher. Truly, it is never a pleasant sound, the rattle of clay upon the coffin lid, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, Dust to dust. Nor to the farmer, for its own sake, would it be a very pleasant thing to put his grain into the dull, cold earth. And yet, no farmer ever weeps 
when he plants his field. He continues, Dear friends, if such be death, if it be but a sowing, let us have done with all faithless, hopeless, and graceless sorrow. Our family circle has been broken, say you. Yes, but only broken that it may be reformed. You have lost a dear friend? Yes, but only lost that a friend you may find them once again and find them more than you lost. They are not lost. They are sown. It would seem that the more spiritually mature we are, the more we'll be able to speak honestly about death and therefore about our hope in the resurrection. Secondly, Paul says that God gives things bodies fit for their purpose. Verses 38 to 42, he speaks about the different bodies, the different flesh, the different glories that exist in God's creation. Not all flesh is alike, he says. Human beings have different flesh from animals and birds and fish, and even not just in the terrestrial realm, but in the celestial realm. The sun is different from the moon and the stars in their glory. God gives bodies fit for their purpose. Be a bit of a challenge for us in our relationships if we all had the bodies of a sun, and the earth would be fairly cold and dim if the sun had the body of a fish. God gives bodies fit for their purpose. But his third point is that our present body is not fit for eternity yet. He goes on at the end of verse 42. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. And if there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Paul speaks here of the transformation of the body, remade and renewed. For Paul, sin has corrupted the goodness of God's creation. It's not just limited to human transgressions. Theologians refer to this concept of sin more broadly as the fall. The whole created order has suffered under sin's corruption. All creation, human and non-human, longs for redemption, we read in Romans chapter 8. That means that none of God's creation has remained untouched or uncorrupted by sin, including our bodies. The language that he uses to describe the transformation forms this stark contrast to the bodily existence as we currently experience. Perishable versus imperishable, weakness versus power, dishonor versus glory, physical or natural versus spiritual or supernatural. Far from the image of decaying corpses, The resurrected body sounds glorious. It's not about death and disease. It's the epitome of strength and of power. Paul insists that the resurrected body will be just that, a body. The flesh and blood that has been corrupted under sin's power must be and will be transformed to reflect the blessing of abundant life that God always wanted for his creation. And so his fourth point, God gives new bodies to his people at the resurrection through their union with Christ. Verse 45, thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. 
Paul makes an analogy between the first Adam and the last. Quoting from Genesis 2, Paul notes that the first Adam was a living being, but the second Adam, Jesus, the last Adam, for we'll need no other, exceeds that by becoming a life-giving spirit. The analogy here is similar to Romans 5. The first Adam brought death to all, but the last Adam brought life for all. The logic is that what we shared with Adam in our connection to him, perishability, dishonour, weakness, we will then share with Christ, imperishability, glory and power. So now we're in a state of transition, as Paul goes on to describe. From verse 47, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust, and we share that nature from Adam. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is, notice the change in tense, the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. See, we were united with Christ in his death. That deals with the penalty of sin in our lives. But we're also united with Christ in his resurrection. And it's in our resurrection that Jesus deals with the presence of sin in our lives in the new creation. Paul is convinced that believers will be transformed as Christ has been transformed. And he can make this bold and extraordinary claim because he has seen the resurrected Christ. He did not believe in the bodily resurrection. He too opposed those who proclaimed Jesus' resurrection from the dead as Saul, the persecutor of the early church. But his encounter with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, so transformed his understanding, so impacted his life that he spent the rest of it proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That revelation caused him to see God's transformative resurrection power invading all of life as we know it. Perhaps we can learn something from the jazz funerals of the communities of New Orleans. Don't know if you've heard about them, but they begin as the people head to the cemetery in a parade with music playing. They begin very slowly and mournfully with a dirge, a solemn song, or an old African-American spiritual like, Nearer my God to thee. Then the service and the ceremony take place at the grave. The person's body is laid to rest. And then they return in a procession from the cemetery but this time playing rousing tunes like, Oh, when the saints, oh, when the saints, oh, when the saints come marching in, oh, Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints come marching in. There is absolutely room for grief at death. Even Jesus wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. But there also must be rejoicing at the news of the resurrection, that death is not the end. Now, it's true to say that this section of text does not answer all our questions about resurrection. How is it scientifically possible for a body to become imperishable, for instance? I'm comforted, of course, by the opening verse of the Bible at times like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. If that is the premise of everything that follows, if God can bring everything into being, 
It is no hard thing for him to bring imperishability from our flesh. We might also ask, what would the body look like that's been untouched by the corrupting and destructive power of sin? We've never experienced that. Again, this passage doesn't answer it specifically, but Jesus' post-resurrection appearances give us a glimpse of the glory to await in the resurrection. But what this section of the text does affirm is the bodily resurrection as central to the gospel, central to our faith. Paul's language and experience are limited, as though looking through glass dimly, as is ours. Yet he and we can affirm both the revelation of the resurrection in the risen Christ and the fuller revelation that awaits us when Christ returns, we'll hear more about next week. So let me ask you a question. Are you of heaven? Having been born into this race, part of Adam's race, have you also gone on to become part of the kingdom of God? Have you opened your heart and your life to him? Have you received the Lord Jesus Christ? And from him, the hope expressed here of becoming eternally a man or woman as God intends a man or woman to be. For the promise for those who do is this, the final verse, verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I love the way John puts it in 1 John 3, verse 2. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What a hope. What a difference. What a difference this ought to make to our lives. It transforms the way that we act, the way that we think. It transforms our dreams and our aspirations what we do with our time, how we think and speak about death. Everything is changed if you are of heaven in Christ as well as of the dust in Adam. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glory of this revelation that you have in store for us a body transformed and renewed freed not only from the penalty of sin in the death of your Son, but from the presence of sin through his resurrection and ours. Heavenly Father, help us to long for that day, to speak of that day, to witness in our lives to that day, that our friends and our family and our colleagues may see in us your work of the resurrection, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.